Okay. The recorder's on. You're ready. You can do this. This is Laura Aldaney from Rich and Resilient Living, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, reminding you to remember that wealth is far more than money. Perfect. Yes, it is. It's way more than money. Yes. Because otherwise we wouldn't say wealth. We would say just rich because that's boring. Anyway, perfect. All right. I'm going to hit stop. I'll be right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Michael Brent Collings. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Bear and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going awesome. It's going a little better because we finally managed to, you know, make technology work. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Look at us. We're almost old people and we can use computers. Wow. Well, you know, I was like sitting there with my Etch-a-Sketch just shaking it and going, this thing won't load. <laughs> but then, you know, my kid came in and they're like, dad, move over, move over. Ah, okay. Here's uh, the, the colorful one is the computer. Gotcha. Yeah. I miss those little knobs, <laughs> man. They, they were the best. <laughs> So you are at bestsellerlife.com, not bettersellerlife.com, bestsellerlife.com. So what are you most excited about in your business, in your life today? Oh, in my business and in my life? Uh, business is, I'm just excited to be launching it. Um, you know, I'm an author and my wife and I share computers. So she's always getting ads for me, like, you know, Viagra and stuff like that. And I'm getting ads for her, ditch your husband, <laughs> things like that. And she kept getting like all these how to publish and make a billion dollars kind of things, um, which are a crock of crap. So I was complaining about people ripping off authors and she's like, well, you actually do this successfully. You should make a course. And that's what I did. So bestsellerlife.com is super awesome. It's got like dozens of hours of step-by-step video explanations and it's all me too. It's not like some rando person that I pawned it off to. I'm like, here, Jimmy, you figure out Facebook. You know, it's like somebody who's actually been doing it. Um, and I don't teach it for a living because that's the other thing is like, you go to a lot of these and they're like, I'm so good at teaching. And you look at their books on Amazon. It's like one review, six sales, all of them yeah. to the author's mom kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just stoked that that's up and running and I've got books constantly coming out. I've got a big release coming out in early 2024 and I'm going to be on tour with that for six weeks. And wow. my wife was terrified, but also probably happy to have me gone. <laughs> 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 well, that's fun. It sounds like you're having a good time. Yeah, we're always, you know, life is what you make of it. And it sounds really trite. And, I, and I'm not when, I'm not saying that some people you're like, because I always make it good. No, my life sucks a lot of the time. But right now we're having right. a good time. So let's lean into that. <laughs> no, you know, one of my uh, one, this is going to be a bit of a downer. Not really. No, not really. But like, <laughs> um, one of my guests said something like that. Like there's this weird expectation that people have that mm -hmm. they, you know, they should be happy all the time. Oh, my gosh. And it's that, impossible. That's, yeah. That's, I, I'm glad she burst that bubble. And I was pretty old. <laughs> you know, when, when she explained that to me, no, no, no. 
you shouldn't actually be ecstatically, gleefully happy all the time. That would be fucking weird. <laughs> right. And you know, you do meet people like that and you're like, this guy's just high constantly. Nobody yeah, defaults exactly. to like, oh, that person's really well adjusted. You're like, there's something wrong with that dude. Like if you see somebody just walking down the street, smiling and nodding at everybody, like, I don't know, I lived in South America for a while and that was kind of normal down here, down there, but like up in the US and in, you know, white people zones, it's like just creepy. <laughs> You mean people outside the United States are happy? Is that what you're trying to uh, say? Well, I don't know about happy, but they're they nicer. Smi- like, they smile more. Yeah, they yeah. they do. I like mm. for real. I went from Los Angeles to this little town of five thousand people in South America, and for the first two months, people are smiling and waving, and I'm just like reflexively checking my wallet, being like, <laughs> "Oh, they're gonna steal something." This is like the advance crew from the gang or something. And then I yeah. came home after two years, and I'm walking down. Like, you know, doing the same sure. thing in L.A., smiling and waving. Yeah, yeah. And, and all I could think was like, white people suck, you know, because yes. we, <laughs> we don't do that to each other. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm learning slowly that like a place like L.A., especially like all of L.A., all, every, all of Southern California, mm-hmm. fucking weird. <laughs> oh, seventh circle of hell. I weird. moved from Los Angeles to Idaho and and I got so many people being like, why would you move from Los Angeles, the bustling metropolis to cow country and potatoes in Idaho? And I was just like, that question shows you've never been to L.A. It's pretty obvious if you spend more than a couple days there. <laughs> and when um, I don't know why I think it was. So I lived like in like part of L.A. County like Torrance, South Bay area, right? Yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, still LA, right? <laughs> Technically. <laughs> Technically LA. But those LA people, they they have nothing to do with the, the South Bay. It's like you may as oh, well no. be on another planet. But Yeah, it's just a herpes and leprosy colony. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and, it, and it goes like if you're South Bay, then you just do South Bay stuff, right? You Hermosa, mm-hmm. Redondo, right? You don't want to know anything about the Valley. Fuck those Valley people. <laughs> pretty much pretty much but i remember like going on a one of those tour buses with friends that coming visiting from out of town and we went to like what's the big shopping thing like rodeo drive right yeah 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 beverly hills that's a creepy place that is if you like get out and walk around the shops you know like Louis Vuitton and all the brands, mm-hmm. right? And everybody walking around there, that is the closest place to the Matrix I've ever been on planet Earth. Oh, but it's like if the Matrix was programmed by the Stepford Wives. Because like, <laughs> I remember I worked I worked at Fox Studios for a while and on okay. a production company there. Wow. And they I did a good job for them. So my last day, they took me out to lunch on Rodeo Drive. And I just looked around at all the cautionary tales of plastic surgery catching up to you. <laughs> like that was like 80%. <laughs> You know, 20%, I was going, oh, you guys were great. Thanks for letting me work with you. It was a real wonderful experience. And 80% was like, dude, I am never getting a nose job. Like, I ain't pretty. I have a face made for typing with my face. But it is better (laughs) than the train wreck that happens 30, 40 years after you start messing Uh, with stuff. (laughs) uh, It's like, like, uh, how do I look? You look good. (laughs) Yeah. What are you going to say? desperate an adjective? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this is Vroom Vroom Veer. We have to start doing the show now. Stop (laughs) screwing around. Okay, so let's go back in time and talk about uh, Michael 
So I'm going to start calling you MBC, right? Nice. Okay. So talk about MBC when he was growing up. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up kind of all over for the first eight years. My dad was a teacher, so we were, you know, poor. And um, he finally <laughs> okay. landed a dream job. He worked for Pepperdine University, and he ended up being the head of their creative writing department. So we kind of put down roots in Thousand Oaks, California. Um, and I had no friends and no fun for the first couple of years there. And, you know, people say that all the time, and they're like, but he had friends. She had friends. I had one friend, and that was the kid who hit me less than everybody else kind of thing. And <laughs> And it was Friendly? mostly my fault. Okay. It was mostly my fault. Like it wasn't where I was being, I was kind of a jerk. I was very smart and I was very small. And those two things create this Napoleon complex without any of the power behind it, you know? So I was mm. just annoying to everybody. Um, and I finally <laughs> went to my mom, who's like the nicest person I'm, you know, and I'm 11 or 12 years old. I'm like tired of not having friends. And I said, teach me sensei. And she literally like teaches me how to be friendly. So life started taking off a little better in, in middle school and high school. And, you know, I had like a much more normal experience at that point, but it was, it was kind of an uphill struggle for the first couple of years. And wow. the saving grace really, it was really books and stories. You know, it was nice. My dad, he's a creative writing director. So he had a library of tens of thousands of books in our home. And um, he ordered them by kind of age appropriateness. So he's like, you know, the <laughs> okay. less terrifying books are down here and the, you know, heftier ones are up here. And if you can reach it, son, you can read it. You know, oh, so wow. I went and got a stepladder, went to like the fifth shelf <laughs> and started reading That's great. Stephen King, which was kind of everywhere in our house because my dad was the world expert on Stephen King for about 20 years, not speaking hyperbole, like actually the world expert on Stephen King. So I grew up in wow. a house full of love, but also full of screaming and typing. <laughs> <laughs> so now we this is maybe the first person, you may be the first person I've ever talked to, maybe in my life, that kind of gave me an idea. Like, have you ever met somebody that is just like a dick, right? Like, <laughs> I'm, the, the question hasn't come out yet. And, 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 you, I'm so and, you, glad. and you think like to yourself, you know, who gave them permission to be a dick or an asshole? Like, it, it, <laughs> was there like a graduation ceremony when he was five and it says, you are now a dick. Congratulations. Right. Right. I just didn't know where it came from. And then you just say, okay, well, you're small and you're smart. That kind of leads you to be like kind of a dick. And I was like, okay. Oh, I, 100%. 100%. So you had to like learn how to be nice. That was the yeah. first time I ever heard that. That's, in, that's yeah, interesting. Well, I'm, look, I'm, I'm deeply introverted. You know, there's people who are born yeah. with that like outgoing spirit and they can yeah. go to any party and just have fun. And I'm the guy who goes to a party, faces the wall and just chews my fingernails until my wrist bones are showing. Um, and so, you know, you put that social maladjustment into, you know, the pressure of school, just in general, figuring yourself out. And it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. And I was just lucky that I found a way to kind of be jerky instead of just implode, you know, and grow up to be the guy who everyone's like, he was so quiet the day after he's gunned down. people or something. Um, so it worked out. Okay. But yeah, I'll take full responsibility for not having friends as a kid. <laughs> Understood. Understood. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> But, you know, hey, good on you for seeking out advice. So, you know. Oh, yeah. 11, yeah. 11 year old Michael Brent went and asked mommy how to be nice. And it worked out. And it worked. And it worked. It worked. Yeah. Seek yeah. a mentor. Always good. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that you just said, you said something interesting there. Um, oh, introvert. I think mm -hmm. I might closetly be an introvert. 
which <laughs> makes no sense because I've always considered myself kind of extroverted. Like, mm-hmm. but I heard myself say something the other day. Like, I went to podcast movement way back when, like 2014, 2015, something like that. Right. And all of those people, like, walking up to me and giving me their card and pitching me. I was like, uh, get away from me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. It's fucking exhausting, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so maybe yeah. I'm an I'm an introvert sometimes, or maybe it's I think, just well, uh, an aversion think, to pitches. No, you are probably, because, like, a lot of people mistake introvert for someone who can't speak to other people. And it's mm. not like an ability or a capacity thing. The best definition I ever heard was you're an introvert or you're an extrovert if social interaction energizes you. And energizes you. Right, you. Right. Yeah. And, and it costs me definitely like people see me on these, on shows and stuff. And I'm very open about my mental health issues because I have some pretty serious ones and, and they'll get on and immediately be like, Oh, he's not really that. Cause he doesn't act like that. You know, I'm like, well, you diagnosed me in 20 minutes on YouTube. Congratulations. <laughs> Um, right. But, but one of the big ones is like, there's no way he's an introvert. And I go, well, you don't see me after a comic con, like where I've been interacting with people for three days and signing autographs and stuff. And then I come home and I literally have a bed in the closet where I just sit for several days and my family doesn't bother me. Cause I'm like wow. dealing with the come down kind of thing. Okay. Or even after these, like, you know, I try and schedule a podcast later in the day cause I am not as effective after it's over. <laughs> wow. Okay. So thank you. <laughs> I think, I, I don't think then I'm an introvert. I will say like those big events with mm-hmm. a gajillion people still, yeah. still exhausting. Right. I, oh yeah. Well, the meat river is hard to swim through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I don't want to go to Comic-Con when somebody, a friend of mine described Comic-Con is like this ocean of people that you have yeah. to navigate and then, and then get to your thing and stay there and then go out into the ocean again. And it, is, and it takes you hours to get from one thing to the next thing. I was like, no, yeah. I don't ever want to do that ever. That's too many people. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like I'm a single bar with the, more outfits. Way, way better outfits too. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Okay, so all right. So we got through childhood a little bit. Um, oh, finally. Yes. So I know you went to college because you were yeah. a lawyer. So were you always going to be a lawyer or how did that happen? I don't know if I was always going to be a lawyer, but like, you know, I liked to write and I liked to tell stories and 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 do creative stuff, but I did not want to be the stereotypical 40-year-old rock star living in his mom's basement, like inviting women over, being all, any day, baby, I'm going to make it big. You know, like I wanted to have a family and I wanted to have, you know, I knew I wanted a wife and kids and stuff and I wanted to provide for them. So I I was like, well, I've been told probably during my jerky phase that I argue well, so I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> so <laughs> I did that as like my grown-up job so that I could avoid the creative lifestyle. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And it didn't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably that introvert thing sort of like came around. Well, what what happened with the law job was a combination of a couple of things. One, the mental health problems that I alluded to, they really, they rose into the fore. And at the same time, um, probably even bigger was my wife got really, really sick. So I went from like a full-time partner at a law firm and they work these crazy hours and yeah. always have to be there and stuff. Um, I went to a part turned into a part-time lawyer because I'm taking care of my wife. Mm. Um, and she's better now, but 
the partners invited me into a meeting and very kindly invited me to divest myself of my shares and leave the <laughs> partnership. Um, and, and you can't really be like, no, I'm going to stay. And like, that's just talk about an intentionally toxic work environment. So right. I left and, and like I say, my wife had been sick. I'm sick. We've got medical bills piling up and it's right around when the economy crashed and everybody's like, we don't really like lawyers. So we're definitely not hiring lawyers right now. Just right. aside from the fact that we don't need them, they're unpleasant and stuff. So, <laughs> so I'm literally just sitting there jobless. I'm trying to get a job as a normal, you know, adult eight hours a day and nothing's working. Right. So I start telling stories at night because <clears throat> it's something I've been decent at. And, and I was lucky enough to make that into my new career. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, still purchasing my soul back on an installment plan, though. Ah, you're right, right. It's, they, they take <laughs> those deals seriously, especially when you oh, scrawl them in blood. Yeah, a hundred percent. You don't yeah. get you don't get your diploma from law school until you hand that thing over in a box <laughs> at a crossroads with blood and one pinky finger. I think is what I heard at, at some point. Oh yeah, and I went to USC, so I only had to bring a dead cat. It had to be a dead, expensive cat. You know. Oh uh, right. <laughs> Recently shampooed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I'm glad things worked out. Yeah. Yeah. They do. You know, if you keep it, I found out the secret to immortality. I determined because I love movies and watching them. I realized the secret to immortality because every time somebody dies, they do the same thing. They, you know, they have their like important moment and then they go. Oh. Right. And they exhale and they forget to inhale after that. So I've just arranged so people are always around me. And every time I get that look and I make that sound, someone goes, breathe in. And I just keep going, um, you know, and if you keep breathing in long enough because someone's shouting at you to do it and encouraging you, um, maybe, you know, the troubles, up, yeah, yeah the, the troubles recede. You get new ones, but like very few of your problems are permanent. Amen. You know, I went through and this is not new. So this has been covered on this podcast and other podcasts. In my 20s, I went through depression and suicide mm -hmm. attempts. So mm -hmm. don't want to get into it, but, you know, I, I've been there. And yeah. it's definitely like uh, I was never diagnosed because I was trying mm -hmm. to avoid telling the world, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But like, I, you know, you know, you've been there, so I'm not telling yeah. you anything. But it's like when people hear about it, I'm fine now, right? But, <laughs> but then, you know, this is like when I was so like 92, I guess, right? 91, 92. Mm -hmm. um, like when people weren't around, all I would do was cry and then want to yeah. like lay down in the, on a couch, right? Mm -hmm. And I, to be honest with you, it, it was the suicide attempts that like failed that got me off of that, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> strangely enough. Right. So like I like try to die, wake up the next mm -hmm. day and go, crap, I'm not dead. Now I got to go to work. And yeah. because of my attempt methodology, that next day was really a bad day. <laughs> I was really sick. <laughs> I, I, that's so weird. You would think that after, you know, trying to, to off yourself, yeah. you'd just be wake up with bluebirds on your shoulder One lifting think. you to work. Oh my gosh. As it turns out, I not, can imagine. not the case. Yes. Yeah. No. But no. that got me off of, you know, God, I suck to, mm -hmm. well, that didn't work. Fuck it. You know? <laughs> 
I'm not even good at this. I'm going to go find exactly. something else to do. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So like years later, I actually, you know, figured some stuff out, but at least I was off of that spot. Good. So, good. okay. I will say interjecting as like a, I, and I make jokes about it because I do have serious, I, I have major depressive disorder, suicidal tendencies and psychotic uh, breaks. So like when I say like, I'm crazy, I'm making good natured fun of myself and it's like, I'm right. allowed to, of course. Um, so <laughs> any other crazy people out there, you know, make sure you don't get, get that far. That's one of the things right. I always try and get say help. is just like reach out. Yeah. Get help. Yeah. There's a stigma when you hide right. it, but the more you're just like, Hey, I'm crazy. People go, that's cool. Let's talk about it. And it becomes, <laughs> you know, it becomes a thing that people are interested in. So you're the yeah. life of the party about the time you tried to off yourself. Right. And then, you know, it just fades into the background and, and people are aware of it, but can cope with it. You know, if you're just hiding it and you don't show up to work because you're having a crazy day, it's the end of the world for folks. But if you've prepped them like, Hey, some days I just can't get out of bed and we're like thumb sucking. Um, <laughs> they're more aware of it and able to kind of like roll with it. So you're better off talking to people. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So let's get off, uh, boring, uh, not boring, but like downer, <laughs> downer stuff, right. downer <laughs> stuff, right? Not boring. Good stuff. Everybody learn Michael Brent and Jeff Smith. Went through some shit. We're okay now. That's the that's the thrust of that portion of the show. Okay, at least for today. So, <laughs> so you uh, you are now no longer a lawyer. No. Um, and then, so next you start telling stories. So how do you take screwing around in your house as a not lawyer to you know making a living? Let's let's get into that. How'd that happen? Well, so. It, it, it started before I ended being a lawyer. So I marry okay. my wife and she's like far above my station and she marries this nice, stable law guy, you know. And then a couple of years into it, I'm like, hey, remember when I mentioned that I kind of like to write? And she goes, yeah. And I say, well, I really like to write. Um, and I don't want to quit my job or anything, but I'd like to make some money writing too. That would be neat. Um, so for about a decade, you know, it would be like wake up at five or 5.30, go to work, come back at six, play with the kids tuck everybody into bed. And at 10 o'clock I'd write and I'd write from 10 until one or two. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And I, people were like, how'd you manage that? I'm like, the answer is very easy. I was cranky all the time and my wife put up with a lot. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and so luckily I had already started the ball rolling when the law stuff fell apart. So literally that same year I told, I sold two screenplays. Um, and I had also started querying publishers and agents and managers and stuff like that. You know, the usual route for, I want to be famous as a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I literally, I have two four inch binders of single sheets of rejections. Varying Keep all from of like, those. No, They're important. You. Oh yeah. yeah. They're great because some of them are like, no, thanks. It was close, but no, thanks. And some of them are like, please set fire to yourself. So this never happens again. Like there is a real range. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. Some of them were not nice, but right. I had a friend who was like, well, have you heard about this Kindle thing? And I was like, oh, is that like a new Etch-A-Sketch, you know, like you and I went over. Right. Um, and he explained what it was. And I was like, well, my book won't hurt anybody, you know? So I just put it up there. And like the first month I was floored because I sold six copies and I'm pretty sure all of them were to my mom. I'm pretty sure she set up six Amazon accounts, bought six copies of that book. Bless her. And that was my, my <laughs> oh, for sure. That was my big success though. You know? Yeah. But, but um, boy, that, and then, that's, that's awesome. That first money that you get from something creative. Oh, it's like, <gasps> totally. they love me. They really, oh, yeah. really I was like, me. I'm going to cash yeah. this 25 cent check and yeah. buy a handful of Skittles at a candy machine and feel like a king among men. Yes. And, um, 
so all that was kind of rolling and 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 we went through this really lean terrible period i ended up in my parents basement the one place i'd wanted to avoid you know mm. with a family cuz you know we've lost everything and we're kind of rebuilding um and i was still trying to get like a regular grown up job and but at the same time it's not happening so i keep telling these stories and i just gradually built not just a readership but like a system a repeatable system that I could do over and over and over again um, and Got make a, a pretty good living. Wow. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing that you turned into a, a course just recently. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, you know, like there's just so many shysters out there. I'm just amazed. You turn on the internet any point, anytime, and someone's like, I will teach you how to be a millionaire in this job. And I'm like, look, if you are so good at that job, you are either the best in the world, which is why you have time for this, mm. or you're full of crap. And it's usually full of crap. You know, there's you somebody who's like taking, oh, it's, it, and it's yeah. so terrible and it's so shilly, you know, like, hey, there's yeah. just this like high pressure sales pitch. And and it's like, I just kind of want to be like, eh, I, you know, I've done okay with this. And I, I'm not going to promise you're a millionaire because nobody can promise that. But I'll tell you what I did and maybe you can make it work. You know, there's principles yeah. that work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so that's been a lot of fun, but it is, it's a lot of work because I'm balancing business head and creative head and dad right. head and husband head and all right. these, like these different jobs that we do, um, day to day. And, and everyone has those different hats, but I do find in a creative field, it, it is a lot bigger of a chasm, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, you, 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 if you're working your nine to five, you come home and it's like, daddy's home, you know? And I work my six to whenever, I walk out and I'm kind of in a daze and I'm like, well, dad's thinking of a story. Don't talk to him. He won't be coherent. You know, so my, <laughs> my family has to like put up with this sort of this uh, skipping stone across the essences of life sometimes. <laughs> wow. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I learned that lesson, that whole like, you know, mo if you're looking for answers in your life at 2 a.m. while you're in your undies watching infomercials on shitty TV. Totally. You're not going to find it, but you, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you find people who prey on the desperate 2 a.m. That's, right. That's, <laughs> That's right. So uh, what I found now, I don't want to take away anything from anybody selling anything that mm -hmm. might make somebody, somebody's, uh, if you can afford any course that's going to make your life better, buy it because, you yeah. know, for sure. Right. Why um, reinvent the wheel? Exactly. Um, I, the thing that actually ended up changing my life was when I found this guy, uh, Mr. Money Mustache. He talks about, uh, okay, so you are aware. Okay, good. I've heard of Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So this guy will like tell you exactly what to do in pretty good detail and not charge a dime. Now, if you mm -hmm. want to go pay him because you want to hang out with him or something, you can. There are opportunities to give him money, <laughs> but right. you really don't have to. He's the mm -hmm. guy that says, oh, this is what I did. Here's how to do it. Have a nice life, right? And yeah. Yeah. most, the key, right? The key is free. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is amazing. And yeah. Yeah. That's so cool to be able to do. And, you know, it, 
it is such a rough gig out there learning anything nowadays because like all the information's available and it's all gettable. But it was like when I was a kid, the difficulty was finding it, you know, going to a library, ordering books, having to buy things, you know, there was no, you couldn't just get it all at your fingertips, you know? Right. And now the problem is, well, I have the entire ocean of knowledge, but it's turned from a desert looking for water to trying to find buried treasure at the bottom of the Marianas Trench sometimes, you know, it's like, how do we filter through all the unnecessary stuff all of the stuff that's not relevant, not germane, just not true, because we know the internet preys on right. you know people who have a fundamental problem with truth, um, <laughs> and all of us are in that boat sometimes. You know, all of us hold very hard and dear to the things we believe that are least accurate sometimes. Right. So it's just it's a weird echo chamber. It it's an echo chamber inside of one of those you know weird mirror places at the amusement park. So it's like it's. <laughs> It's nothing it's but distorted distortion. images. Yes. Everything, yeah, yeah. everything, yeah. you know, right. and you're like sitting there making fun of crap and you don't realize it's your own re- reflection. Cause I noticed that, you know, the people who yell the loudest, the thing they yell loudest about is rude people. It's so funny watching a comment, like somebody comes out just guns blazing and screaming and yelling. And someone's all like, you're an a-hole. And they're like, Whoa, no need to be rude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I've try I try to avoid the the uh, the comment section altogether. Like I oh just just turn off comments on my blog if that is this yeah. podcast because like sure if you love me you know that's okay just love me from afar I don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, I heard a comedian. He's like the best time to have been a public figure was the '80s because there was like television. There was a way to reach a mass audience, but there was no way for the mass audience to, to reach, reach you. you. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm just trying to write a book and have fun. You know, I'm like trying not to hurt people and do the right thing. And you can wake up and open the email and it's like, oh, I love your books. And then the next one's like, you look like an idiot. Just want to let you know. Oh, right. Well, I know where what you is live. Your life like? <laughs> I know where you what live. Is your life like? <laughs> and I'm coming to see you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is the thing is like, you want to be careful making fun of horror writers. My son had some issues with, uh, cause for those I did, I didn't get into it, but I write everything, but I'm best known for horror. So right. my son's at high school and he was having an issue with a kid, not a major thing, but you know, like one of those little simmering kind of beefs. And I finally took him aside. And I said, next time this kid bugs you, I want you to just look at him and say, Hey, we can get into this, but I want you to know my dad will get involved. And all he does is sit and think of ways to kill people for eight hours a day. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Effective and scary. (laughs) Right. You know, just be careful. You never know who you're messing with. No, he laughed. He didn't. That was more for my son. I would never hope. I hope he would never do something like that. You don't want to torment some other random twit just because he's having a bad day, too. But. But, you know, it's like funny. People are out there screaming and yelling. I'm like, you don't know. This guy could be a yeah, a hired hitman who was just, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to do a podcast because I'm tired of the hitman life. I'm going to talk about <laughs> different kinds of spaghetti. And the first troll comes up and is like, you're an idiot. You don't know spaghetti. And that guy wakes up dead the next day because he didn't know the podcast guy was a hitman. Like, you just don't know. I feel you like don't we're taking know. our life in our hands. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I remember... Um, this is just a total uh, tangent, but like yeah. that, what you just said. So I was uh, doing an IT temp job in Inglewood. Okay. So Inglewood, not one of the better neighborhoods of the LA, greater LA area. Right. Right. And uh, 
I I kind of was going a little too fast next to the kids crossing the crosswalk, you know, mm-hmm. next to the elementary school. Mm-hmm. And oi, the teacher in the crosswalk, boo, if looks could kill, right? <laughs> to, to me, right? And it's me, yeah. right? So I'm going to be like, like, oops, yeah, mea copa. I'm sorry, right? right. And I'm then, so sorry. Right, right. As, I, as I'm driving away, I'm like, you know, I wouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Because she didn't know it was me, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, that could have been dangerous for her. But, yeah, you know, and, who knows? <laughs> yeah, and you can't tell looking at people. I remember there was a guy I went to church with, and he was this frumpy, dowdy, chubster kind of thing. And he got into it with a kid. Like, I was there. It wasn't a church kid. It was just, like, on the street. And this kid punched him in the stomach and broke his wrist. And oh the guy goodness. just kind of, like, very matter-of-factly put the kid on the ground and um, and I went and tell my parents about that. Like, oh, that, that's so and so. He's a Navy SEAL. That kid should never have done that, you know. And I'm like, I thought he was just, you know, fat, chubby guy at church guy. You know, <laughs> you just don't right. know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. If you if you listen to the uh, uh, the Navy SEAL people talk long enough, they mm-hmm. get to that 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 where they get into the training part where they make you into the gray man. Uh, pretty much. But the you, thing is, the, the green man, man doesn't look like Ryan Gosling. It looks like a normal guy, especially after totally. he's retired for eight or nine years. That's you know? what he's the gray like man the is supposed dude. to look like. Yeah. That, that's what the gray man is supposed to look oh, like. Oh, that would be awesome. I would love to see a middle-aged balding guy in a minivan, and that's like the most dangerous person in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they tried to do that with that movie, Nobody. Right. They, they tried to do mm-hmm. it, but you yep. know, the actor, not really a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. It's like, we're going to call this the ugly girl. Why? Cause she has glasses, but that way when she takes them off, she's beautiful. And you're like, this chick's already a gorgeous. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Holly, yeah. Hollywood is so messed up. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about like, uh, more books. Um, because, uh, cool. yeah, let's talk about like, so I know you're known for horror, and mm-hmm. I get that. Um, so, like, you mentioned Stephen King. Uh, yeah. I, like, tried. I was really into Dark Tower series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, like, some of the best shit ever right up until the end when he wrote himself <laughs> into the end. Um, <laughs> but, like, the whole, you know, all the books were really great. And I tried mm-hmm. to read his horror stuff. Mm-hmm. Like needful things, I got like halfway in and had to quit. I was like, "Okay, I don't, I don't know what this is, but it, it's not what I got in the Dark Tower." <laughs> I don't get it. Right. I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, very true. Right, right. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about some of the other stuff that you do uh, outside of horror. Um, yeah, well, like I say, I kind of write the way I usually do it is I'll write a scary book and then I'll write a not scary book. Pretty much, you know, like oh, okay. a scary book is kind of my bread and butter and then I'll do another thing and I'm lucky enough I have fans that kind of follow me wherever um and then like you know I've been an indie forever because like I say I had that big thick set of binders full of rejections um <laughs> but now I'm I'm a hybrid author because I signed a, a publishing contract with a national uh publishing house so they're sending me on a big book tour next year for six weeks and and that's a middle grade fantasy so like I'm I'm just all over the place I mean like everything literally every single genre except erotica I have written something and I've done romance fantasy sci-fi thriller mystery wow everything wow um because as much as I like horror and I understand it as a home base, probably because my dad was such so deeply involved in that genre. Right. Um, I just 
I've never thought of myself as like, I'm Michael Brandt. I'm a horror writer. I just, I'm a storyteller. I like telling cool stories and sometimes they're scary. Um, but I also love like my kids. Um, I'll go in and just tell them stories at night. We call them Piz stories. Um, in the magical land of Piz, which my mom invented, um, <laughs> she would tell us these stories and, and she called it Piz because we're like, what's the name? You know, this is little Michael Brent. What's the name of the magical land, mommy? And she, she couldn't think of anything. She literally thought I've got zip. And so she flipped zip backwards and it's Piz <laughs> children. So, you know, I grew up with that and now I tell my kids Piz stories and they're like, oh, can we hear a Piz story? We want to hear what happened to the peanut butter snowman next, you know? And yeah, the peanut butter snowman <laughs> is a facially ludicrous thing. But that's one of the nice things about writing is I get to indulge my ludicrosity and my silliness and yeah. you know, my penchant for weird things and, and just go, well, what if it did rain bullets? You know, what would life be like in that situation? And, Dangerous. and just follow it to the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a lot more band-aids. A lot more band-aids. So it turned into a short story. <laughs> right. In the land of Piz when it was raining bullets. <laughs> so um and I know you wrote screenplays too. So yeah, like yeah. I, I I often have you ever read a book and as you're reading the book, you're going, This this author wants it to be a TV show or a movie. It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's almost like they're doing it on purpose now. Like, oh, uh, for sure. And I've seen this in, like, go ahead and give me an example. Uh, well, I was going to say, I remember so clearly, and it was such an upsetting one because um, Jurassic Park, the first one, the Stephen King and Michael Crichton one, came out and it kind of rocked the world. And I want to say this was like 91, 92, somewhere around there. Okay. And, um, and, it was so good and it was this huge success and it changed CGI and it gave us all the, you know, meaningless empty movies we have today. <laughs> and, um, but it was so much fun. And then uh, the next book uh, came out and I remember reading it and I had to stifle the urge to throw it across the room because it was so obviously written to be the next movie. Mm, and right. the worst part of it was, you know, I was irritated. It was kind of crash and commercial. And this is before I grew up a little. And I realized that's how you get a business being an artist is you have to think about commercial stuff, you know? Of course. Um, and there's, there's nothing crass about it. It's just business. You can do art for yourself and not sell it, or you can do art for other people and sell it. Right. And so Michael Crichton did this great book. And that was the thing that bothered me so much is like, I would be less mad somehow if it wasn't so good. And then the <laughs> right? rap cherry on top of that poop Sunday was then they made the sequel, um, The Lost World, which had nothing to do with the book. Like they had this book that was the most perfect screenplay I've ever read in book form. Mm. And they did nothing but ruin everything they'd set up in the first movie. I mean, it was such wow. a dumb sequel. Yeah, yeah, um, right, right. So you know, yeah, you see that all the time and more and more the IP, the intellectual property consolidates. So it's not just, hey, do you have a book? It's what movie can we make of it? Does it have action figures? You know, can we turn it into a comic book? And all of these different that's things. How, that's how we, I, how we ended up with the MCU. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and, I didn't and now know everybody's that. like, yeah. oh, there's big money in that. But they don't recognize the MCU took freaking 50 years to get to that point. And, you know, it's not like something that you just jump on and make a billion dollars. I will link to a, 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 so the guy that is most responsible for the MCU talked for the first time forever on Tim Ferriss's podcast recently, mm. like within the last mm. couple months. And so like, 
at, all at once, as I finished listening to that podcast, this random comment from Martin Scorsese said, oh, MCU, that's not cinema, right? And no. I, was like, I was like, okay, Mr. Scorsese, why is it not cinema? Please explain. Of mm-hmm. course, he's not around. He just makes comments right. and leaves, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I think I kind of understood, like, after listening to this podcast, what he meant. Yeah. Because what it's, was going on was different than what happens in ordinary cin- cinema. Yeah, it's fundamentally changed a lot of movies and, and not in a great way. Because, again, it's like here's the thing with Hollywood is it is it sees a trend and they they can only capitalize on the most automated processes. So like Saw is a great example. The movie Saw comes out and it was this made huge for nothing. Hit and, <laughs> oh, made for nothing. Huge right. hit makes a lot of money. And you know, people loved it and Hollywood acquires it and goes, okay, let's reproduce that. And they can't reproduce the character interactions. They can't reproduce the twist necessarily. They can't reproduce the stuff that gives it its kind of its gut impact. All they can reproduce is the, the surface stuff, the traps. So each, each movie successively movie becomes uh, an exercise in, in, yeah, it becomes an exercise in more and more ludicrous traps because that's all they can do. Right. And similarly, Marvel sets up this, you know, this huge thing and it pays off so well in Avengers, the the final two Avengers movies. Right. And then but Hollywood's now driving it as a money making machine and it's getting emptier and emptier. And even the sets, you know, like Ant-Man, I went and saw the most recent one because I do like the movies. They're fun, mm. but it just felt empty and part of that is because they're not even on a set anymore they're not even on a green screen set they're in front of a a bunch of tv uh really high def monitors linked together that literally have the actors already embedded in this world but there's no imagination happening yeah yeah, yeah. there's no it's just flatter you know Hmm. so like i disagree i think it is it's cinema it's a different kind of cinema and i I feel like it's definitely more junk food than a full (laughs) meal right you know, right. Good it's that day where you movie. like, right. Yeah. Or like you pound a five pound family bag of Skittles cause you're sad and your stomach hurts the next day. You know, mm. you're like, why did I do that? But then you're sad again and you get that five pound bag of Skittles. There's a place for it. In life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad. I'm just going to sit in the uh, couch and eat ice cream. Yes. Yep. Uh, Watch a Marvel movie. You can get a tummy ache. <laughs> So yet, yet I digress. And um, the other thing I was going to talk about is this, uh, this guy, um, Scott Sigler a little bit. So uh-huh. he, he's another indie guy and he likes to mix genres. Yeah. Uh, do you do that inside of books? Yeah. Constantly, you know, oh, really? Oh, good. Yeah, it, <laughs> that makes constantly. it more interesting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly. And, and the thing is like a lot of people have a real misconception when, when they think about genre that what they're really thinking about is storytelling tropes. Cause genre is just a, a marketing word. Genre is just whatever shelf it's on in Barnes and Noble or Amazon. Ah, so like, right. And, and in fact, you look so at you the need horror one. shelf. You need one. Well, you do. You need you one. Do because but it, in, they just need to know where to file it basically. <laughs> and that's the thing is like right. when bookstores started, you didn't go like, I want a horror book. You walked in and said, I like a story that perhaps spooketh me, my good fellow. <laughs> and the guy's like, oh, on yon right. third shelf down, there be a new one by, we call them novels. They're so new by a woman named Mary Shelley. It hath monsters named Frankenstein. Hmm. It doth excite greatly. You know, but then the <laughs> bookstores like took off and this guy hires, you know, the, the employees we have to do today, these upset college students who don't really like books mm. and the guy, you know, so they're like, ask, 
getting asked, hey, where's the scary book? And they turn to the owner, where's the scary book? He's like, why did I even hire you? And so he finally just labels all the shelves, you know? So there's, this is the scary bookshelf, okay, dumb new employee. It's called uh, horror. It's the mm. scary books or horror. And mm. if they want like sexualized stuff, we'll call it ye olde erotica and send them over there. Right. Um, and it really is. It's just marketing. It's a way of shuffling customers to the right kind of section mm. that is more likely to be what they're interested in without having to screw up the process with some middle person who really doesn't understand how it all works. Right, right. So like the first time I thought the best sort of like, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe like a subversive overlay of genre was mm -hmm. The Expanse. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So each one of yeah. those novels is like, it's got a genre. I mean, it's obviously sci-fi. <laughs> we, sure. we know where we, to put this book on the shelf. But Absolutely. within that, right, book one is noir. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and, and it's, it's great. So fun. And it's it great. Is. I totally yeah. missed the noir and all the other books because the other books are not noir. And I, I turn, turns out I kind of like that. It was a really cool <laughs> mix, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it totally is. Or like right. you know, one of the big fan favorites of all time is um, Firefly, which is a Western. Totally movie. love that. Yes. It's cowboys yeah. and Indians in space. Right. It's wagon train in space. Yeah, which yeah. was and the I, original I say cowboys pitch. and Indians, by yeah, the way, yeah. as a cultural relic. Not <laughs> as a, I'm not saying anything bad. Okay, that's what you, they used to call them. Yeah, back you, then. you say horses and guns, and everybody knows what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you're not Chaps offending. Chaps and spurs. There you go. But that I just saw this uh, Star Trek uh, retrospective documentary, and uh -huh. the original Star Trek was pitched as wagon train in space. Yeah, same yeah. deal. You know. Yeah. And actually, I, that's one of the things I really like about the, like, there's different kinds of Star Treks. One of the things I love the most about um, Wrath of Khan, the, which is, you know, held up as one of the best ones, it's a submarine movie. It's the hunt for Red October in space, you know? It is, it's like <laughs> it is yes, two, because they're in the nebula. That's right. <laughs> yeah, these two submarines circling each other. And, I mean, it's it's so cool when people know one how to ping. overlay that really well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Hundred percent. One ping. One ping, yeah. Mister uh, Whatever your name is. So, yeah. <laughs> there are some things in this boat that don't react well to bullets. Yeah, I love that movie. That's such a good movie. And it, it, it okay, is. Okay, Ben so John much Connery. Fun. <laughs> Dude, Sean Connery is the most eminently like not make funnable. You're doing an homage even when you suck at it. You're yes, like, it's totally. He's got such a good voice. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I try to avoid doing voices at all, uh, but I can't help myself from doing one ping. <laughs> right? A hundred percent. It's a part of my soul. It's a part of my soul. So yeah, overlaying genres makes it more fun. And I like playing with that all the time. Because right. look, if your only point is like, I'm going to write a book and it's 400 pages of just being scared. That's like a roller coaster that just goes up and then goes down for the whole time. It's just like, totally. Eh, yeah. Know? Yeah. And so you got to throw in the twists and the loops. And sometimes that's, there's a surprise romance or, um, a something lot of funny. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so much humor in horror. Horror and humor are like the two most closely related genres. Right. The only thing that separates them is lighting and lens length. I, I mean, it's like if you're close up in the dark, you're associating and it's scary. If you're far away and it's light, it's the other guy it's happening to. And it's hilarious. <laughs> Um, Interesting. But that, okay. The same stuff happens, you know? Right. So yeah, putting those things in is a lot of fun and it's very freeing too, to just be like, yeah, it's, I'm going to call it a horror novel because 
I have to put it on a shelf somewhere and my books right. sell best on the horror shelf. But yeah, you could get anything. In fact, one person, um, they emailed me a fan very recently um, and were like just three lines and it was just like, or three words, it was just name is dead. And I was like, oh, they just got up to book five of the colony where I just completely changed the whole set of rules that I've been playing with. Okay. Um, and I'm like, you thought you were in a zombie book. Guess what? We're doing something different now. Um, <laughs> well, that's <and> fun. <laughs> yeah, it's super fun, you know? Yeah. It, and it's not fun where you feel like the authors just can't figure out what they're doing. It's tremendously fun where the authors got you like, we're in a science fiction movie. We're in a science fiction movie. We're in a science, bam, horror movie. Just right. kidding. And it's been there the whole time. You yes. just didn't notice. Yeah. Oh, that's um, great. It is. I, it's I think, so much I fun. think the, the, the most fun movie wise, um, was Dust Till Dawn, the first one. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. most of that movie is just the bad guy buddy movie. Yeah. Right up until that chick turns into a vampire. And you're like, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I hold that up with another one that's very similar, which uh, as far as like that kind of structure, which is Predator, the original one with Schwarzenegger. Right. Um, because it's like, oh, it's going to be a Schwarzenegger movie. There's crap one-liners. There's right. a lot of blood. We're in the jungle. And you get and a lot of sudden, that. You do get a lot of that. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. have time to believe. <laughs> yeah, it's the most manly and it has the most macho, you know, high five moment in history. Yes. Um, you know, Apollo Creed. Carl Weathers. <laughs> yeah, dude. If, if Mr. T and like Chuck Norris had been in the background, the universe would have exploded. True. Um, and so it's super cool. All of a sudden, then it's this alien movie. And right. I talk about those two a lot because I'm like, I think Dusk Till Dawn from Dusk Till Dawn would have made way more money if they had done the one thing Predator did better unabashedly and perfectly, which is, again, you got to feel like it's not just totally out of left field. So Predator has one single shot in the very beginning of a spaceship going towards Earth. And I remember so that. Yep. But almost nobody does until I say it. As soon as I say it, they're like, oh, yeah. And it sets up in your head. So when the alien right. shows up, you're like, this is perfect. This is what we were leading up to. Right. Whereas dust till dawn, there's no indication. None. Right. And like if you went to the bathroom at the wrong time, you would literally think you wandered into the wrong theater. <laughs> true. True. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. whoa, I didn't know Salma Hayek did two movies this year. This one's really weird. <laughs> 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 and so we're getting ready to wrap up. So I'm, I don't want to forget. I want to mention one more thing. But before mm -hmm. we do that, let's talk about how people can best get in touch with M. Let me see if I can get this right. MBC. There we go. I, I always <laughs> want to say Mick. Mick B. I know my parents, <laughs> my parents, they're like, who named you? I'm like, my parents hated me, obviously. Yeah. Um, so the easiest way to find me is to just write my first name. My first name is Michael Brent. There's it's only one. one word, right? There's, it's just me. And it, and it, by the way, I don't have a gold stick up my butt. Just, there's like a thousand Michaels in my family. So this way I know who's actually yelling at me at the family. Michael room. Brent. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Who did this? Michael Brent. Um, so they can just type in Michael Brent or they can go to bestsellerlife.com and that's where I've got all my courses and stuff. So I'm super easy to Google. And if you Google me just right, maybe I'll Google you. <laughs> See, I made it creepy because I'm a horror writer. Creepy and funny. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to say is um, I hate it in a movie when they take that hard left with no advance warning and no, you know, I, I'm, I love them. Right. And so, okay, let's listen to the last chime here. Okay.
Here we go. It's noon. <laughs> okay. So maybe I'll edit that. Maybe I won't. It's, it's all good. <laughs> Cinema Veritas. Yeah. You know, the, uh, I don't know. I can't remember like a, a really good example, but there are several. You're just watching the movie and it takes that hard left and mm-hmm. they get, they gave you zero hints. Yeah. I think that cool. it's just cheating. I don't, you know, yeah. it's not fun. It's like, I want to yeah. quit now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a hundred percent. And you know, who's the, the queen of that was Agatha Christie because like they'd have all the murder, you know, all the suspects arrayed and, you know, inspector, uh, Belgium guy, I forget his name all of a sudden, but right. oh, Hercule Poirot, he gets in, he's like, <laughs> we have all of you and the murder was perfect, but for one thing. And he's like, what none of you know is I sent away for DNA testing on a piece of fabric that I found but never mentioned earlier in the movie. But I sent away and now I know exactly who the murderer is because the result is here. And it's like, what? what? <laughs> That's cheating. you gotta, you yeah. got to give us all the clues because if right. you just bring in a new clue at the last second – it's definitely that's the writer or the director or whoever saying like, I don't have enough confidence to believe in my mystery, really. Right. Um, and it's delightful to then to show somebody the last clue and they get it after the main character or like, you know, the someone finally says it and they go back and they go, oh, crap. How did I miss all of that? Right. That's like, right. That's, that's satisfying. Perfect spot. That's yeah, what, the thing 100%. that makes you want to go back and watch it again immediately. Yeah, that's, that's what like, you I'm want. I'm going to fact check. Yeah, I'm going right. to error check the author right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right. it's super cool to do that. You can actually be too clever with it. Like one time in one of my early books, I I wrote something like Oklahoma Terror, Oklahoma Territory, 1872, and I got all these angry emails like, "You didn't do research. Oklahoma was already a state in 1872." And I was saying, "Well, actually, that's my way of saying this isn't really Oklahoma. I was laying it in early that this is kind of an alternate situation, but oh. I was too subtle about it." And that's the mm. other danger is like you do lay it all out, but they still feel ripped off because you didn't give it to them properly. It's it's such uh-huh. a, a careful tease to be involved in. Interesting. So you have to be careful with your alternative reality facts <laughs> oh for sure you know there, there right. is for sure there is i i am so smart everyone thinks i'm a moron you know like there's people who are right. just that smart i'm not one of them i tell mm. people are like how are you so smart i'm like i'm not that smart you read in 10 hours what i spent six months crafting i right. hope i am six months smarter than your 10 hours <laughs> right 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 well let's let's wrap this shit up before we spend all awesome. day here yes <laughs> Michael Brent, no, this has been a blast. You've been great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't handle another second of you. <laughs> it's all good. I I took it in the spirit it was intended, I think, anyway. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> I think. Unless you are yeah. an asshole. Uh. <laughs> no, no. I don't want to make you mad. You could be a hitman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I could be a school teacher. That's right. Our- <laughs> all right, brother. This has been a blast. Uh, if you ever want to come back and pitch a new book, Please do. You you could be you have co-host vibe, you know. So nice. come back as often as you like, and we'll just oh, be that's us. So sweet. <laughs> I love it. This is super fun. I super like the conversations that that we get to have, and um, you know, in this business, and this has been just a delightful one. So thank you so much. All right, brother. Have a good one. Take care. Yep. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.